0: Episode 1, Rocket Reusability. You're listening to SpecsCast. Jazz hands. Jazz hands. Okay. Welcome to SpecsCast, a podcast for discussing the science and technology of space exploration. I'm Phil, and joining me today we have TJ. Hello. And Augie. Hello. And we're going to do a discussion. We're going to pick a topic... Each episode, and we're going to talk about it, all the aspects from new discoveries and recent events, maybe the history, um, where we see it going, and everything in between. So this episode, we're going to explore the topic of rocket reusability. Rocket reusability. So the basic idea is that you lower the cost of sending things into space by not sending a new vehicle, not having to build something from scratch you can recover what you send and use it again.
1: Um. Right, especially uh, an analogy SpaceX likes to use a lot is if we had um, thrown away all of our planes every time you flew somewhere. We're currently doing that with rockets. Anytime we send something into orbit, we're throwing away this hundred million dollar rocket and we have to rebuild it from scratch. So if you can figure out a way to reuse it, even if it's only ten times that it can be reused, you're going to save an enormous amount of cost.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's interesting, in every like, depiction of rockets and spaceships, especially, they're always reusable, right? You get in your spaceship, you go off to your planet. You're playing sci-fi? Yeah, in, especially in sci-fi, especially in early 1900s sci-fi, where you yeah. got your, your typical silver UFOs, right? They go, go to your planet and you come back. And it's basically a car for space. And that was the idea that a lot of people assumed space travel would take on. But then when we actually got to the principles of the engineering, of actually developing these rockets and being able to put things and people into space, we found that, especially with the such low margins, that trying to bring the whole booster back cuts a significant fraction of that. And so so the initial compromise was to make them expendable. But after 50, 60 years of that, we finally are exploring reusing them. What
0: compromise? I I was just thinking about why are they disposable in the first place? Why can't... Can you just, like, why why did we begin discarding such high-tech, valuable, one-of-a-kind, unique instruments? We just launch it up, and then once we're done with it, sayonara. Like, what? Well, part
1: of it, I think, is they're extremely difficult to land. And two, um, when they fall back through the atmosphere, they're at such high speeds that they burn up really easily. So you need either some sort of heat shield, or you need to come back at a proper angle where you avoid all those high heats.
2: Yeah. You have to understand that both the Russian and American space programs piggybacked on weapons development. You didn't have uh, custom designed exploration class rockets until the end of the Apollo program with the Saturn V. And uh, you have that, you have no pressing need for reusability, but if you look at the space shuttle, when they started designing that, that's when they're like. Throwing these away, being expendable is bad. We should try to reuse it. Especially with the space station.
0: The whole goal is to put people there and bring them back. So if you have mm-hmm. one vehicle to do that and fly it back every time and land it on a runway.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we expand a little bit on the space shuttle? Um, why, why did it cost so much? You know, what are the reasons that it's been canceled and we're no longer flying easily
2: so, into space? All of the issues with the Space Shuttle program... All of the is, issues, is, that's is why. It's probably its own whole episode, but uh, you're looking at the initial design, right, for a quick, reusable space shuttle, right, sending seven people into low Earth orbit to go to that space station and then come back. You want it to be as simple as possible, and when you have that limited set of goals, you can then create something that can be reusable, right, with that space plane-style approach. However... The political realities is that NASA had its goal, and the Department of Defense, in order to fund the space shuttle, put their own goals on the space shuttle. And so you went from this very small, seven-person, like, little plane into this massive space truck that carries seven people, plus it's got a robotic arm, plus it can hold massive military spy satellites. And that expanded every aspect of it, you know, bigger wings. Scope creep. Exactly, yeah. scope creep. And so that is, you know, partially on uh, the political environment that Indeed. Space Shuttle was made. But the initial idea is still pretty sad. And we see that in Dream Chaser.
0: What is Dream Tracer?
2: Uh, Dream Tracer is a Sierra Nevada capsule, and that is a winged lifting body. And that is, I believe, designed for seven people. Mm-hmm. So um, a space shuttle without the huge yes, cargo bay. A pure, a pure uh, crewed shuttle. Now, unfortunately, because of political pressures, they've had to re-engineer that, and now it's a cargo vessel, and they actually won the new CRS contract. Yep. And so they're uh, keeping the ins- insides, instead of carrying people, pressurized cargo, and then having a cargo compartment on the back. But getting back away from reusable capsules into reusable launch vehicles, mm-hmm. so... Which is really the issue here. That's that's really important thing. obviously, reuse the... I mean, we, do we... One last thing
0: about capsules, do we like the Soyuz and things? Are those one one-time use? Like they yes. send people up and then as soon as it re-enters they junk it and build another
2: one? Yes, yeah, so uh, pretty much every capsule except for the Space Shuttle have been single use. Now oh, they have they did reuse a Mercury capsule. They refurbished it and launched it again during the Mercury program. That's Mercury which That's was 1960 1958? end of 50s yeah. early 60s I believe. So it's been a while. Uh, with SpaceX, I uh, think not for CRS or eight, but for nine or ten, is mm-hmm. actually reusing the pressure vessel, and so that is the main structural of component their unmanned capsule. The drag- but it is
0: a step of reusing, refurbishing, and reusing yes.
2: hardware.
1: I think SpaceX has already reused some of their avionics and flight hardware in some of the Dragon capsules. Yeah,
2: but again, one of the main issues with the space shuttle is that difference between reuse and refurbishment, because you can recover components. But if it costs a lot of money to turn those components into flight-ready components again, then sometimes, especially in the Space roles case, it's better to just build new components.
1: So what what happened recently then with uh, SpaceX and uh, their goal toward reusability? Why don't we talk about that a little bit? See, yeah, one, was in the news. one of
2: the reasons we're talking about rocket reusability is because there was a very big advancement on that front. Um, we all here watched Orbcom, successful uh, deployment of Orbcom satellites, and then the successful return and landing of a first stage by SpaceX, By SpaceX, yes. um, and also the debut of their new full-thrust Falcon 9. And it's really incredible to finally have that validated, because there's so many different components to that. So the basic flight plan of a yes. rocket is yes. that you'll have, if you have a multi-stage rocket, you have a first stage, it burns until it's out of fuel. That stage is jettisoned, and then the next stage goes on and either two, three, four, whatever stages, puts the payload into orbit. And that first stage usually takes a ballistic arc into the ocean. Uh, what SpaceX is doing is that after s- separation, it keeps a reserve of fuel inside the stage, and it does three uh, different burns. It does a boost back burn, where it flips around. In and midair. At the top in space, about 120 right? kilometers, going about a thousand meters per second. This is very extreme speeds. Fortunately, because it's at altitude, there's not a lot of aerodynamic forces. But you're still talking about a lot of momentum. And This rocket is 12 feet in diameter, and, and a, 100 140, long? 140 something feet long. So this is a massive, massive. Yeah, the engine's as tall as I am. So. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's quite impressive. And, and it's so got nine. you have your boost back burn, right? Where that. Um, changes your ballistic trajectory into a trajectory that basically reverses course and back to the landing pad. And so then uh, there'll be a couple minutes of coasting, and the stage will enter engines first. Back into the atmosphere. Yeah, so you have to understand the weight distribution inside of the stage. You have nine Merlin engines, which are heavy metal engines, and a very thin, thin as possible, aluminum lithium tank on top. And so the tendency of the stage is to orient uh, engines first which for SpaceX is useful and so when it's going uh, falling back to earth if it did nothing, the aerodynamic forces as it lowers in altitude density increases it would basically tear itself apart so it has to do a second burn called the re-entry burn and this is where it gets interesting they are traveling at supersonic speeds through the atmosphere and then backwards. backwards and they're firing their engines into the direction of motion <laughs> Rockets you know they f- fly th- supersonic a lot but the exhaust is always going away from the direction of motion. And so you're literally firing into the oncoming air. You're getting that exhaust blasted back onto the stage. It's like driving down the highway and shooting a flamethrower out of the hood of your car. Yeah, common sense is that's (laughs) not a good idea. Um, And so they... successfully demonstrated that supersonic retro propulsion actually works. And that's something that NASA has been very interested in. So what happens after the re-entry? So, after the re-entry
1: burn, they essentially have a giant launch pad in Cape Canaveral um, that they have to land perfectly on. And what they do is essentially a hover slam where they reach zero meters per second in velocity at the moment they hit the ground. Because they're unable to hover. It's yeah,
0: known as a suicide burn.
1: Yeah, it, it literally is, You it either just, you hit it or you don't, and it falls over and blows up. And that's kind of what we saw with uh, a few of their previous missions, and even missions since then. Um, they've tried to land on a barge out in the ocean. Uh, some missions that require a higher orbit require higher fuel, so they're not able to boost all the way back to the landing site. So they have this big autonomous spaceport drone ship that they've basically they use them for like oil rigs. Right. And they're refurbished so they can handle up to like 40-foot waves.
0: It's a drone ship because it's controlled remotely or by a computer? Um, it's really.
1: all controlled by a computer, so it just stabilizes. So it's essentially a giant, flat, the size of a football field landing pad out in the middle of the ocean. And there's no humans there. It's all robotically controlled. And while that's moving, they try and land a moving rocket that just got done being at supersonic speeds um, and directly on top of it. And they have yet to succeed in that. But they get closer and closer each time. The most recent launch, um, I believe it was Jason-3 uh, Jason 3. 3 satellite, was actually, they landed it, but then one of the landing legs, like the collet broke, and it tipped over afterward. So it's probably the center engine there that essentially brings its total velocity directly down to zero. And that's vertical and horizontal that it has to bring down to
0: zero. Right.
2: Yeah, so the, the amount of pointing accuracy you need and the margins you have are quite insane. August mentioned in the suicide burn. The stage has to precisely identify the exact point and amount of thrust to apply so that it's at zero velocity right when it's at zero height. Because even with one Merlin engine at the lowest throttle setting, the stage actually has a greater than one thrust-to-weight ratio.
1: On just a single engine, too, especially because these are empty rockets. After it's coming back, it has virtually no fuel left. It's actually in SpaceX's best interest for it to have zero fuel left because any extra leftover fuel is just payload that they've wasted, Mm -hmm. that they could have launched more mass with.
2: Yeah, you're going through something like 550,000 pounds to about 20 tons.
1: You know, and what's interesting and yeah, great about okay. reusability is the fuel itself only costs like two hundred thousand dollars. It's the rocket that costs seventy million plus. So yes. if they can figure out how to reuse that rocket, refurbish it, and low cost just relaunch it, um, that would lower the cost of going to space by at least an order of magnitude, right.
0: if not two. And I, in theory, they would check it over and then refuel it and. Go again, right there, because it lands right at the launch
1: pad. Yeah, I've heard rumors that SpaceX is trying to get their turnaround time to be just a single day. So essentially, they'll land, they'll they'll check it over and make sure everything's okay, um, and then load it back up and launch again.
2: There were some issues. There was a piece of debris found inside one of the engines after yeah. the static fire. Engine
1: nine. Yeah.
2: yeah. So you know they're going to have to figure out what caused that and whether they can prevent that because the overall goal is to. Have no refurbishment or
0: minimal refurbishment. Just like a standard checklist that you'd run down, okay, yes. engine one, not broken, engine two, not broken, let's mm-hmm. fill her up and launch mm-hmm. again. And then, like you said, the fuel is one of the cheapest components, generally speaking, in in the rocket itself. So if all you have to replace is the fuel, you bring down the cost to get into space, which is now in the millions, down an order of magnitude and open it up to smaller companies, mm-hmm. maybe even... Um, Human like
1: cube small satellites. We can launch. There'll
0: be the whole industry will be changed if SpaceX succeeds in this. But not only SpaceX isn't the only one doing this specific method of launching up and using legs and coming down engine first. Uh, Blue Origin, the New Shepard.
1: Yeah, so Blue Origins was founded, I think, 10, 15 years ago by uh, Jeff Bezos, who is the uh, CEO and co-founder of Amazon. And essentially, he's just been pouring his own money into this uh, this rocket company. And they have uh, something called New Shepard, which is a much smaller booster than the Falcon 9 but they were the first to succeed in launching to space and then returning and landing. So they they don't go anywhere near as fast as a Falcon 9 does because they don't have to put anything in orbit. They don't have to achieve close to orbital velocity. But it is interesting because they are planning on scaling up that concept, and eventually we could see them be a, a competitive to SpaceX.
0: So right now they have a small... It's unmanned, yep. of course, yep. but are they planning to use... Um like, maybe send up one or two people in a in New Shepard so for a new, suborbital flight? New
2: Shepard is tied, it's a booster as well as a capsule, and that capsule, I believe, seats five or seven people. And it is connected the whole way? It is connected it's, the whole yep. way, and then at Apogee, they release the capsule. The capsule descends on parachutes and then has a retro-propulsor motor, mo- very similar to the Soyuz, and the booster does a full propulsive landing.
1: Yeah, and the capsule is really designed for um, space tourism. So essentially it'll fall, and the astronauts or the people that are inside will experience, I think, five to seven minutes of complete weightlessness. And it's similar to a parabolic flight, but you actually get to achieve... Um, the astronaut status, which is going over the Karman line, which is 50 miles.
0: And that's the official miles. boundary of space.
1: That is the official boundary of yes. space. It's kind of arbitrarily set because the atmosphere kind of degrades over time. But that's what general population a very population interesting uses. point in
2: space. That's probably another topic. But it's very interesting from a physics point of why we have a Karman line. Okay. Um, but yeah, on the topic of blue origin, it's, very, it's interesting what they're doing, right? So... I like to think of uh, Blue Origin as pretty much Jeff Bezos's uh, hobby. Because he is a multi-billionaire, and he's been working on this for 10, 15 years. And I think all of us, if we had enough money to play with... Big it's like boy a model rockets. rocket. A exactly. had people on it. These are your model rockets, but now huge and capable of going into space. It's interesting about
1: Blue Origin, since we're on that topic, is yes, it is just a hobby so far for Jeff Bezos, but as he sees it become more profitable, it could become so much more than that. Like Elon, the founder of SpaceX. Yep, exactly. Um, yes. C- kind of like that. But, but if- Um, With at least Blue Origin, they've already talked about scaling up and coming up with a rocket that they refer to as Very Big Brother. And Mm -hmm. this will be similar to the Falcon 9 in that it can take some sort of satellite to orbit which will fund the entire flight and then return and land.
2: Now, with Blue Origin, you have a lot of, uh, I don't have a good term for this, but kind of mission, what do you call it? mission proposal creep? Which is something that NASA has been dealing with for the past couple of decades, right? Where you have a lot of smart people, a lot of technically inclined people, and they can create these elaborate mission designs. You know, missions to Venus, missions to Mars, missions to all the, the outer planets, right? But it's all about the funding reality and the, like, putting the time and effort into making those possible, because it's very easy to come up with a plan, right? And with SpaceX, we've, we have a pretty solid idea of their reusability plan. And we're going to find out uh, this fall their official Mars plan, right? And they have a plan as well as resources and development teams. They have. To put to, humans on Mars. To put, yep. to put humans on Mars. And that's the they, mission
1: of SpaceX ultimately. It's too- they have
2: around 5,000 employees and growing now working towards this. Blue Origin's a much smaller company. And when they announce Very Big Brother, it, it is interesting. But my personal opinion is that. That might not pan out because you have to look at what their other objectives are. You have New Shepard, which is a suborbital tourism rocket. Right? right? Straight up, witness for a couple of minutes, straight down. Okay. And that's because it's reusable, it'll be lower cost than a full rocket. For, for Blue Origin as well as for the people.
0: So I yes. mean, it could be a cash cow for them.
2: Yeah, so you know, that's definitely uh, a revenue stream and a, a profit stream, which is critical when you need to invest back into development. But uh, Blue Origin, the new Shepard, is powered by the BE3 engine, which is a hydrolox engine running on liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. Which is generally considered to be a harder engine to design. SpaceX went with the Merlin engine, which is a Kerolox, so kerosene and liquid oxygen, which is generally simpler. And they did a lot of different design choices to simplify the design, reduce costs. Yeah, but
1: wait a minute. If you're going to talk about Blue Origin with just the BE three, you have to talk the BE four yeah, exactly. as well, which is their methalox. So
2: vehicle. the BE four is a much larger engine. It's a methalox engine, and SpaceX is also building their methalox engine, Raptor. And the deal. Methylox, methyl uh, So methane is, methane is no, the
1: fuel no, no, no. and oxygen is the yes. oxidizer, just like curl which is the standard, where kerosene is the fuel and oxygen is the okay.
2: oxidizer. Yeah, thanks. Now, with the BE-4, they've uh, joined in a partnership with United Launch Alliance to uh, create an engine, the BE-4, to replace the RD-180. And that would be the new engine for their new launch vehicle, Vulcan. And so, from my perspective, Blue Origin is looking to be an engine development company where they've created a a privately developed Hydrolox engine, which is a pretty significant accomplishment. They're working on a methalox engine, which we haven't created any large methalox engines in the United States ever. And their path looks more clear to be an engine supplier than a launch vehicle supplier because with Very Big Brother, that's going to be directly competing with Vulcan and SpaceX. And SpaceX, once they get reusability better and better, that lead is going to be growing. It's going to be harder to compete.
0: So the bottom line, you're saying, rather than compete, let's just make money in some other market that these people aren't um, taking advantage of.
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely, it makes more business sense for them to focus on engine development than to try to compete in the launch vehicle uh, services.
1: See, that's that's where I, I differ from you because as much as I would love SpaceX to you know make billions of dollars and help us get to Mars, I think that Blue Origins actually has a good opportunity to become another satellite supplier and compete with SpaceX because so far it seemed like ULA is behind and their Vulcan engine isn't going to be ready until I think 2020 at this point and their concept, which I believe is just launching and then catching the engines and essentially just reusing the engines is still going to be more expensive, most likely, than recovering the entire booster, which is what SpaceX plan is. So it's going to be very difficult for them to compete. So I think if Blue Origins is successful, and they may not be, but they sure have a lot of money, um, hmm. would be them succeeding in scaling up, getting to the high speeds, and producing something similar to the Falcon 9.
0: Could I mention something? Uh, you, you mentioned ULA, which is the United Launch Alliance. Yep. And their new Vulcan design, which is fundamentally different from SpaceX and Blue Origin, they've been one of the main suppliers for especially NASA and the U.S. military for a long time now. And SpaceX is challenging them for the contracts and trying to bring down the cost to get into space uh, for satellites and things by making competition. Mm -hmm. So you're saying not only will, hopefully, Blue Origin has the potential to drive that cost down even further because they all have to compete. But also, how, what, what is ULA's status so, right now, and, and where are they going, and how is Vulcan different? What are the benefits and potential drawbacks of yeah. having a so, different uh, approach?
1: So ULA is essentially a merger of Lockheed Martin and Boeing, and for the past you know, 15 years, they've been the de facto supplier of space launches. They've done satellites for the U.S. government. They've actually received almost a billion dollars per year, even if they don't do launches, to kind of maintain their infrastructure so that they can do launches for the military if they need to. That's all come under question lately, especially with uh, Senator McCain and a lot of the new hearings and stuff like that. Um, they may lose that funding. Um, and that is kind of, I guess, you know, lit a fire for them, and I think that could be why they're coming out with this new Vulcan design, because they recognize that they can't continue... To charge, you know, upwards of 100 million plus dollars per launch because SpaceX looks like they could be very successful in this reusability concept. So their idea with Vulcan is a way that they can continue to compete in the future, so that they don't get knocked out like BlackBerry did with Apple and Google.
2: And what is what is Vulcan and how does it? So work? Vulcan is their next generation launch vehicle. It is methalox powered. Uh, at this point, be
1: four will be the engine.
2: Yeah, yep. be four. It might if they use the, so it's AR- the same as Blue Origin. Yeah, it's a yep, Blue right Origin idea. engine. It's developed by Blue Origin. Now, they might use the Aerojet Rocketdyne AR-1, uh, but their plan for re- reuse is called Smart Reuse. And that is the uh, idea that the engine is the single most expensive component of a rocket. And not only is it the most expensive, it's a significant fraction of the total cost. And so by saving just the engine, you are saving the majority of the cost of the rocket. Now, with SpaceX, when they save fuel to return the stage to the barge or land, that is directly cutting from the total payload they can put in orbit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What ULA wants to do is separate the engine block from the tanks Entire. and then have in mid-air. A, in midair, and then have a parachute, a uh, semi heat shield setup, and then a parachute, and then basically snag it in midair with a helicopter. Now, that seems like a rather outlandish idea. But if you look back in history, the original U.S. spy satellites, before we had digital cameras and the ability to send pictures uh, wirelessly, we returned actual film in canisters and plucked them out of the sky with parachutes. Okay. And so that is an actual proven technology. So to be clear,
0: they would launch the entire stage that carries the payload. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, once it gets into space, it might separate into a second stage. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the first stage has a fuel tank and an engine the fuel tank is disposed of or burns up and discarded
1: exactly and And they would just drop the engine and then they would be able to catch the engine and reuse that the reason I'm skeptical about Vulcan though is that even if they succeed in reusing that engine it's going to take what I think will be substantially more time to refurbish or at least put into a new fuselage and relaunch right because they have to essentially reassemble it they're going to have to test every engine put it back in the rocket body Um, it's it's You can liken it to a plane analogy. Can you imagine if we just reused the engine and had to swap it out to another plane? That would be extremely time-consuming expensive. And then it's also five years in the future. SpaceX has already landed rockets, and while they have yet to reuse them, I think they will do so this year even.
2: Smart's not just five years away. The Vulcan first flight is estimated to be 2020. At best estimates, if there's any delays, it could be later than that. And then Smart is estimated to be five years after the first flight. So can we're you, looking. Can at, you
0: explain the difference what's between what's the distinction between Smart and first flight? What do you mean? So
2: the Vulcan rocket is their next generation launch vehicle. Right. Right. And they're going to launch it in expendable mode at first. I so see. they're okay. going to let
1: the whole thing burn up instead of doing anything. Before they, they, they try to recover. And it. they're not going to exactly.
2: implement Smart. So detaching the engines and recovering those engines until five years after first flight, at best estimates. So you're looking at ten years between now where SpaceX has successfully recovered to stage and ULA when they can ideally successfully cover an engine block. Right. And so that's a lot of time because SpaceX in two years, or ten, in the past 10 years went from never flying an orbital rocket to having a medium-lift launch vehicle. So that is a lot of progress. SpaceX has done a lot of progress in 10 years. And ULA
0: has been serving the U.S. military and... And sending payloads to orbit for how long? So, uh, since so, you have in two thousand six,
2: but they have legacy from Lockheed and Boeing's Boeing. It seems lines. like there's been a
0: lot of stagnation, and and I like I like Vulcan because I think it's a it's a fresh take. You know, it's not. Yes, SpaceX came up with this landing with the legs and things, and Blue Origin's doing something similar. But I I like to see variation, like it, innovation, and I think Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Well, it may not be practical. In itself maybe it could lead to something more more innovative something more different um, than just bringing the whole fuel tank and engine plus landing legs that you have to attach to the rocket and you're carrying up into space to to begin with um i mean it's a a fundamentally different approach i think there are definitely some benefits to it um whether Uh or not we will see it in the so it, it's
2: it's so it's definitely better than expendable, right? right. Recovering anything, unless the refurbishment costs are astronomical, is better than fully expendable, right? And if you look at, at a business case, by recovering the engines and cheaply, relatively putting a new tank on and, mating into a new second stage, it will reduce costs, right? It will reduce costs. However. Will that reduction be enough to compete with SpaceX? Because SpaceX, without reusability, now is already undercutting ULA. Once SpaceX can send out a recover or a reusable booster, right, on their second reuse, even if they don't get 10 or 20 flights per core, if they can use each core twice, right? With core, m- you're referring to nine f- engines and one. Yes, that fuel. first stage. The thing is that twice, you're not going to get a 50% reduction in cost per flight, but you're going to get a good fraction of uh, reduction. And as SpaceX improves that over time, then that re- reduction will be even more. So even now, SpaceX on price can outcompete ULA. Right. And all of their reusability efforts will mean that margin will, will widen. And it's iffy to say smart will be enough. To close that gap.
1: I, I do agree with Phil on, on this one and the, the part where you said it. It, it it is good that they're working on the Vulcan engine and I and I like that they're doing something different than SpaceX and they're not saying, hey look, this is working for SpaceX. Let's copy them, like some of the Chinese smartphone companies do with Apple. And that, <laughs> that's terrible for innovation, and that's terrible for space in general. So I, I really do hope that they can come up with something new and something great will come out of it. But like I said, I am skeptical that they will be able to compete with SpaceX 5, 10 years down the road.
0: Now speaking, so far we've only spoken about private companies doing pursuing reusability. What about NASA and ESA and other publicly or government-funded um, endeavors? And NASA has a new... Launch yeah. vehicle coming out is that reusable and and what does
1: no it's not it's not reusable at all oh nope.
0: lordy the SLS is just a beautiful beautiful cluster uh, uh, so so that's interesting that only private do you think it's because only
2: private firms have the the ability to take that much risk now I don't think it's a risk uh, kind of factor so ULA while technically a private company it is a publicly traded company. And almost all of their activities are with cost plus contracts with, with the government. So they are not truly independent in their actions. They have a lot of influence from the government and the Department of Defense. Now, with the ESA, you can look at uh, Air Space, which is the leading supplier right. of uh, European rockets. And you have the Arian 5, right? And that is a pretty capable rocket. It's got a hydrolox, sustainer stage, solid boosters and when it puts two satellites does dual payload, you can actually get costs relatively close to SpaceX. However, the way that the ESA and Air and Space is set up in their production uh, network, their costs are still going to be much higher than SpaceX and they're not going to be able to easily reduce costs. However, they are also uh, pursuing recovery. There's uh, Project Adeline. Which is actually an old idea, the Russians actually explored it. Which basically means you turn, once the rocket engine uh, propels the rocket for the first stage, you detach the engines, and you actually turn that into a, its own airplane. And you have little jet engines and wings, and you fly the whole uh, first stage back. So like, like the Vulcan, but instead of plucking it out of the
0: air with, with helicopters as it floats down in the parachute. You let it fly itself back to the runway, like,
1: yes, and like I, sure. space shuttle? Kind of something? similar like the space shuttle, yeah.
2: I believe it also brings the tank back, so the engine and the tank. I'm not sure. I have to check. Uh, they haven't had any uh, concrete proposals. They've been doing subscale research with it. Um, but if you look at the Zenit boosters for the Russian space shuttle program, it's a very similar concept. Where Can you describe
0: the, the Zenit boosters real quick? Yeah,
2: so uh, the Zenit rocket is its own launch vehicle now. But in the 80s, not, uh, the Russian space program was creating its um, alternative to the space shuttle. And basically, the space shuttle would be a payload attached to the rocket. And the main rocket would be a central liquid fuel tank with a liquid engine on the side, and four liquid boosters, instead of the space shuttle, which had solid boosters. And it would be partially recoverable, where they would dispose the main tank, just like the space shuttle, but the side boosters would detach, pop out wings, and then use jet engines to f- fly themselves to a runway for recovery. So, so they have wings folded up as they go up? like Yes, the wings are actually folded... Along the length of the tank and So they, they just rotate out. sideways And then they use they, Then they glide back It's fantastic It is a really cool concept it, Was it ever put into production? No So uh, the Buran flew I believe two times Three times oh, but but I'm not it, sure Okay. Uh, but the boosters didn't have uh, Their reusability aspected into it uh, So I mean I like that The the I like the weird stuff
0: I, I sure. really who knows what'll work too? I mean, right. It, it is
1: interesting, and you, and you can already tell like it, it's going to end up being fairly expensive, if not just the R and D
0: costs alone. But in the end, if it lowers the cost of space, it's definitely a good thing. One thing I, I w- was curious about, I, I just wanted your guys' opinion. So right now, be, having a disposable space launch vehicle or space transport vehicle is stupid because it's so expensive to build them in the first place. But hypothetically. If you could do what you know, solo cups did to the plastic, did to the glass, um, you know, a glass cup. If if you have something so cheap but disposable, do you think it could undercut the idea of reusing a rocket?
1: I don't, because the difference with a solo cup is that it's a lot easier to produce. <laughs> like I know that's kind of a crazy analogy, but if you compare a solo cup to a glass, you can produce the solo cup for much cheaper than you can with the glass. I don't think we'll ever be the point where you can produce an expendable rocket for much cheaper than what they would use for a reusable rocket, because the structure itself still costs millions and millions of dollars, where the fuel 200,000, that's a fraction of the cost. So I definitely think we're headed toward reusability.
0: And um, that's gonna bring this, this one to a close. So that's rocket reusability, past, present, and possibly future. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week or two with another discussion on space exploration, science, and technology. If you'd like to share your thoughts on rocket reusability or you have requests for another discussion topic, feel free to send an email to spexcast at gmail.com. That's S-P-E-X cast at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by RIT Specs, a space exploration student faculty research organization at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Music credit, Kevin Hartnell.